Welcome to the Kickpod, your weekly DNM on the stuff that matters. Welcome back. I was going to say hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. That's good. So you had a um, assignment this weekend. Did you have a bit of a boring one? Because you're on the stories quite a lot. <laughs> was wasn't I? Yeah. I also did a lot of housework. Oh, good on you! I felt like I couldn't leave the house if I because I had to study. But yeah. then I I did a lot of washing and stuff. It was very 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 boring. I, I didn't have a lot of passion for what I was doing my um, essay on, mm. and so it took me a very long time. But I found on Sunday night when it was due, mm. and I had to finish it. I became a lot quicker, except when I had my referencing to do, which is something that if anyone has any magical tips on referencing, and I've tried all these websites, it just, it sucks. I was going to say, when I saw that story come up, I was like, I swear every time you're doing an assignment, you do the same story (laughs) as to, oh my gosh, why did I leave my referencing to the last minute again? You just do at the time, because at the time, this is my thing, that the fact that I've thought of something to write because Mm. I literally had no idea what I was going to write. I was like, that's enough for now. Tomorrow's me yeah. and focus on the referencing. Yeah. And then I always do it at the end. I I'm will. never going to learn. <laughs> <laughs> so it's handed though, it's done. It's done, it's handed in this morning. And how was your weekend more fun than mine? It was good. It was good. I'm super tired though. We um, held a soda event up the river and it was really, really fun. So we've got a new pair of sunnies coming out. Um, they're definitely both for male and female, but we thought we'd with this one we'd have a bit of a boys' weekend. So Josh and the team has gone into so much planning for this weekend. Um, it was nice to it executed well. Looked really good. Thank you. But um, no, it was nice, but it's nice to be back. It's nice to be back in work and, and having like a full week because last week was so broken up into public holidays and everything. It's nice to be back kind of in routine. It was weird having it. Was it three? Yeah. Three only work days. But they were not consecutive. Yeah. <laughs> So now to get into our podcast for today, we're very excited about this one, aren't we, Steffi? Mm, Yes. And I've already listened to it. I wasn't (laughs) in the podcast, so I was very keen to listen to it as soon as we got the first edit. And it is so good. And so in this episode, we are lucky enough to be joined by Bumble's Associate Marketing Director for APAC, Michelle Battersby, who is also a really close friend of both of us and also a bit of a mentor. Michelle has a corporate banking background and is a strong believer in following your gut, which led her to accepting her first position at Bumble. In this episode, Michelle shares her wisdom on fitting into a culture in a workplace, how even the most confident women still battle inner self-doubt, and why sometimes jumping in the deep end is the push we all need to get to where we want to be. And I found myself nodding along to this when I listened to it with um, a friend in the car, we were both like, yep, yep, relate. <laughs> so I think any women in the workplace or even if you're aspiring to, to be in the workplace or as a CEO or director of a company or anything like that, um, even just as an employee, it's such an important listen. So we hope you guys enjoy it. One, two, three, Hi, Michelle. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you. I'm excited. You give to do me this. a lot of advice in my work and with what I do. So I thought instead of texting you all the time, I could see if you could share it with everyone because I do think you have some really great advice to give and everyone would really appreciate it. Oh, thanks. You're is right. that okay? <laughs> yeah, that is totally fine. <laughs> Steal everything, document it here. <laughs> so we're going to start with some quick fire questions. Firstly, first thing that comes to your mind, three facts about you. Oh, oh God. 
um, I facts like traits or facts? Whatever. Honestly, there's no category. Whatever you like. Um, okay, I'm really honest, like can't lie to save my life. <laughs> my mum's always said I have a glass face um, and you can just, I'm very <laughs> easy to read. Um, I've got two younger sisters. I'm the oldest of three girls and I have a dog I'm obsessed with, Leia. She's so gorgeous. <laughs> is, that, is that right? That's perfect. <laughs> okay. Um, the most pivotal moment in your career? Uh, it would have to be getting my, it would have to be just getting this job at Bumble. Um, so being referred to Whitney Wolf Heard, our CEO and founder, um, by a mutual friend and taking this leap. Um, it's that, that moment's changed my entire life. And we're going to go into that a lot later. Yeah. And the first goal that comes to your mind? The first goal? It could be in relation to anything, short term, long term. Um, okay, at the moment, I'm actually, I've just started this thing. It's called the five minute journal. Um, and basically, you write kind of positive affirmations in the morning when you wake up. And then in the evening, you write three things that you're grateful for. Um, and I am on to day four. So it's a very recent goal. But at the moment, I'm trying to do that every day. And it's honestly already shifted my mindset. And I feel like I'm picking up on the tiniest things and actually being grateful for them. Like, very cliche, but you're the coffee guy remembering your name or remembering your order. Um, so that's my short-term goal at the more, at the moment, just being more grateful for the little things. That's such a nice thing to do. <laughs> and do you find that helps you with your stress in your work because you are so busy all the time? Yeah, so one, the last thing that you write in the journal each day is something that would have made the day better. Um, and it's interesting because most of mine so far focus on me at work and just uh, because I can get pretty stressed um, remembering like if it's not going to matter in a week from now don't spend so much time focusing on it or letting it worry you that is I'm gonna I'm gonna try and do you that. should do it I will you should get it the five minute journal it's Thank super you. cheap and it's really interactive and it keeps it's keeping me on the right track that's a really good idea I'm gonna get on set I think and also I think you are I know you say you're stressed, but you're also an extremely high-functioning person and you fill your days with a lot, which we'll get into. But before you started working at Bumble, where did you start? You start I know you started in HR yeah, and you're now Associate Director of Marketing for APAC mm-hmm. or Bumble, which is just incredible, and you were the country lead of Australia where you have had 2 million down- – would be over 2 million, million downloads now. Yeah. Which is just insane. Yeah, mind-blowing. But where did you start? <laughs> Like before banking? Yes. So talk <laughs> us through your, from high school, what did you want to do? Did you always want to work in HR? No. I know you were a really strong rower. Yeah. Talk us through that. So uh, growing up, I was never academic. I always just focused on sport. Sport was front of my mind. I was a competitive rower. I only got into university because I got additional um, marks based okay. on rowing achievements. I wouldn't have even been able to get into the the degree that I wanted to get into. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was really competitive, uh, focused a lot on sport. I studied a Bachelor of Arts and then I majored in a, oh no, I did a master's degree in HR and IR. Um, And whilst I was at uni, I honestly just worked in retail for five years. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually used to do something entirely different, which was fashion buying for a surf store um, in Mossman in Sydney. So I used to like go and look at ranges and pick what was going to be sold in the shop. Um, And I did that for five years whilst I was studying. And then um, it was my master's degree that showed me that I was really interested in HR. It was the mm-hmm. first time I'd really applied myself academically. I started getting good marks. Um, 
and then I was fortunate fortunate enough to get an internship at Citibank. Uh-huh. Uh, so that was my first kind of corporate job. I honestly felt like I was killing it. Like I was so happy when I got that. Um, and I did really love it. Like I was challenged by it. I loved the kind of people I was able to work with, what I was learning. Uh-huh. Banking is highly regulated, full of super intelligent people. Um, and I was loving like the fast paced environment. And then probably about three years in, I started thinking, I don't know if I can see myself doing this for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great for the time being, but I didn't see myself loving it forever. So I started to freak out a little bit, to be honest. Of like, course, as anyone it, would. Yeah, when you've spent five years at uni studying one thing really um and then you get a pretty good job in a big global company and then realize you don't actually like it you're like shit (laughs) what am I gonna do yeah where do I go from here what's the next step um so I was definitely at a bit of a crossroads uh in my life at that point and I think Um, I was starting to work out what I was going to be passionate about and what I could see myself doing for the rest of my life. Uh, And I I think it was probably fortunate timing that whilst all this was happening, um, I started exploring a few options and Bumble ended up being one of those options. One of them was blogging, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah. One of them, like you'll probably hate on this, but one (laughs) one of them was this super quick workout that I called the three by three and I would email it to all of my friends and I was like guys this is what I'm doing and it's not very hard and it doesn't take you very long but I feel like I'm seeing results because I'm lazy and I honestly looked into like becoming a PT blogging started going to these little events um on the side and it was one of my friends who was working for uh reward style at the time um she was inviting me to those events and she ended up being the person who referred me to Whitney And here you are. Yeah. (laughs) And going back to even uni, what made you choose arts and did you find that you enjoyed it? Because I, when I first went into uni, I went into law and arts. I originally just wanted to go into law, but they said you should be doing a double degree. So I just chose something I thought I could do. And it was not for me because there was no structure in it because of what the subjects that I chose. I found it really hard um, to focus on it because I didn't know where I was going with it. Yeah. What made you choose arts? Honestly, I had no idea what I okay. wanted to do. Like I didn't finish school and think I want to work in banking or I didn't finish school and think I want to be a journalist. I didn't really have clear direction. Um, so I picked a really broad open degree, which arts is where you can try kind of pick what you want to um, majoring major in, like you could do management or you could do geography, like all this random stuff. Um, So I picked arts because it was broad. And then when I finished that degree, realised, yep, still broad and I haven't worked out what I want to do. And even like majoring in certain things hasn't really helped me. And my dad pushed me to do HR actually. So it was over holidays. I went into um, his work and did work experience in the HR department just for a few weeks. And then at the same time, I enrolled into a master's of HR. And that's kind of how I... How you like I, I suppose arts can be good, same with science, really good for finding out what you like. But I find with some people's personality types, it is hard to go into a broad type of degree like that. Because especially when you finish high school, you're so used to 
knowing what your timetable is. You don't get to choose anything. And then you go into uni and you get to choose everything. And, and it can be really overwhelming yeah. sometimes. I also feel like no one really helps you. Like I remember when I first went to uni, I didn't even know majoring was a thing. Like mm-hmm. I didn't realise that you had to pick certain subjects and that would result in what you majored in. Um, and no one, I, I guess you've got to be really proactive. And if you're not an academic person like me and you're just focused on sport, I was not going to like the careers office or I don't know, the arts faculty, like I didn't even know to find out what I should be doing with my degree. Um, so it honestly took me like a year to work out what subjects to do and what I was going to major in. I, I don't think I was a very strong student until yeah, I... Yeah, I was exactly. I think that a lot of people say, I think you have pressure and especially if you tried to get good grades in high school and then you went into uni and you had that expectation for yourself. It's really hard. It's harder to get good grades in uni because it is so broad and you have to be so proactive with everything you're doing. And I know I struggled so much with it and the electives I choo- I chose were just random and I wasn't I didn't want to learn. I just yeah. wanted to choose the easiest things. Whereas now I'm like, okay, I'm here at uni to learn, which I'm really lucky to be able to do. So all of my electives, while I might choose harder ones, they actually help me yeah. in what I'm doing. Yeah. Also, I'm only really saying this because it might help other people, but the degree I got into at Sydney Uni was uh-huh. at the time the lowest UAI mark wow. you could get to get into Sydney Uni. So it was a Bachelor of Arts and Science and so many of my friends ended up doing it. Um, And I honestly put it as my first preference because I wasn't really a strong, I was just average at school and I went to quite a high performing school. So I knew that in the rankings, I'd probably not end up in a great place. And so I didn't get a very good UAI mark. I think it's called ATAR now. Um, But I picked the lowest degree, mark, like the lowest mark degree to get into at Sydney University because I just wanted to get into Sydney Uni because I know it would open up other doors and it was a great university to go to if mm-hmm. you were a rower and then I still needed the extra marks to get into that degree. I think that's really important to note. I'm so glad that you brought that up because I feel like in uni you feel like when I was in year 12, if I didn't get into the course that I wanted to, I was my life was over and it was like I have no other options but... The thing is, once you get into uni, you can do arts. And if you want to do law, then you just have you can transfer. You obviously have to work hard and get good marks. But the opportunities once you get into uni are so much more than I think that we're told that we can yeah. do in school. Yeah. Like I think I was setting myself up really to have like a bit of a stepping stone style degree. And mm-hmm. that's what I ended up doing. And then by the time I did work out, I liked HR. My marks were like all the highest the highest kind of marks like topping courses and stuff so I think that you're only really like I do better if I can apply myself and I don't apply myself until I really care (laughs) yeah I think that's everyone though and then when you uh, got your first role did they look at your university grades how crucial were they to you getting that job yeah, so the the way I got my internship was actually really interesting. I did something called the Industry Placement Program and they actually, you have to qualify to get into it. But once you're in it, they actually place you in companies they think that your personality is suited to. Um, so I didn't, you don't know what company you're going to get. Um, so you have to go through different kinds of tests, like for any kind of grad program, like a group challenge, um, an in individual written task, and they also look at your marks. Um, so my marks definitely were taken into consideration, but I was actually told the reason I got into it was because of how I was in the group task um, and like working with others. Um, and then I guess they just thought my personality was going to fit a bank. So I don't really know <laughs> what that says about me. But maybe it was because I'd done sport and things like that. So it was like pressure and fast paced. Um, 
I think marks can play a part in it, but it definitely also depends what kind of culture and organisation you're going into. Of course. Like at Bumble, I've... I've not looked at anyone. I was going to ask you, have you, how do you hire people now? So with, now you have a team. How, how many people are in your team? I, okay, so I've just offered someone a new job. Um, Add them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, how many now? So there's only four people in my team. In Australia? Yeah, so five people that work at Bumble in Australia. We do have like a freelance designer. We're in the process of hiring a couple more at the moment. Um, the first hires were very much about extended networks because I was kind of building it from the ground up and I think that when you're starting something you really need to find people that you can trust I'm definitely not saying I in in my position I wouldn't have hired a friend because it was like bringing over this brand from the US but I needed people that I could trust so like friends of friends um and that kind of approach and that definitely what has worked out um you know, Charlotte was the first person that I hired and she was a friend of my little sister's. And, and you still have her. Yeah, and she's just amazing. Um, so I think it, it definitely depends on the situation, but now I am really looking for who's going to feel passionately about their job and what they know of Bumble to date, but also where they see as our what they see are our potential growth opportunities. Um, and 100% it's about cultural fit. Um you can teach someone most skills, but you can't teach someone how to care or be passionate or be a hard worker. Or be aligned with your values. I think that's a really big one. And your values at Bumble are super strong. Yeah, yeah. We've always had a very clear uh, mission and very clear um, yeah, brand values and we've never strayed from that. And I think that makes working for the company so much easier because you just know what's right and what's not right and what kind of a brands what kind of brands align with our brand values and what don't um so yeah that that also makes it easy um well not easy it's definitely hard to find good people but it creates good uh boundaries and i think because of those brand values that shine through so clearly i know when you first contacted me to work with you i've worked with michelle i think for two one and a half years now yeah. for Bumble. And yeah. when you first came to me, before you came to me, there was no way in the world I was ever working for a dating app because there was this <laughs> kind of predisposition that it was, oh, that is, I don't want to be associated with the dating app. And I don't know what it was about you, but when you, you called me and I spoke to you, you sold me on the brand and, and what it meant and what you believed in and the values. And I was so excited to work with Bumble and I think everyone else that you've aligned yourself with as well has felt the same and everyone is excited to work with Bumble. So you've really changed the landscape, I think, in Australia for dating apps. Mm, I think, you know, from the moment that uh, we launched Bumble here, it was very clear uh, what our what our challenges were going to be. And the biggest one was the stigma associated with dating apps. So from the moment that we launched, we were never going to communicate as a dating app Um, and we were never going to present ourselves as a dating app. We were always going to focus on our mission and our values. And I think that Bumble is so much more than just a great product. Like it actually is a movement and we're trying to change the way society operates. Um, And I think that's the greatest thing about Whitney. You know, there's such a clear goal behind this company Mm -hmm. and she's an incredible and inspiring leader, but she actually is making a difference in the world, you know, and it's all for a better cause. And you can see her passion, she has it and it shines through. And do you think that is what, that passion and those clear values and the clear vision, is that what has set Bumble aside from everyone else? 
Absolutely. And I mean, I, I was also the same as you. Like when I first had that conversation, I was hesitant to have that initial conversation with Whitney because I didn't really know much about Bumble and I never used a dating app. And it was the way I, I hope I sold Bumble to you is, you know, how she spoke about the brand to me and why I came on board. Um, but I just think I believed in her and her goal from the start and I believed in what she was saying she was going to do with this brand and it actually like she's she's done it and she's continuing to do it um and it's amazing to be a part of that and you know now a part of um you know bumble empowering people to make the first move in business networking and friendships and you know all the other stuff that we're working on yeah it's it's just incredible and with going back to culture how have you because you have been in charge of you have your brand vision which is very clear but then in australia I know you, you can check in and you have great support from the US with Bumble, but how have you managed to set up your culture within the Australian Bumble team? I think that I, um, when I was starting to think about what I was going to do after banking, a lot of those thoughts were actually coming from the culture that I was in at the time, um, which was a very female dominated department in a male-dominated industry and um, I didn't really like the way I was feeling at times. So I think I took a lot of those learnings into the team here at Bumble. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I really don't want there to ever be any cattiness. Um, I want everyone to feel comfortable at work and I really want everyone to feel like they can be themselves. Like if you love the brand, know the brand and, you know, you really want to work for the brand, you should feel like you can come to work and be yourself, you know, and then that's how you're going to get the best return from people when they're most happy. So I think that it's always been about creating that kind of a, of a culture, but also like that's also so embedded in Bumble's brand. You know, one of the key differences was going from these huge corporates to Bumble and finally working in an environment where a company actually acts how they say they act. Mm. Um, Because it's one thing to put in a website or say, you know, our brand values are whatever they are, like respect, equality. Um, But then to behave in that way is actually a different thing entirely. Um, So I I think I've always been quite conscious of that. And I've also worked in places that are great like that, where, you know, leaders call that kind of stuff out. You know, one rotten apple can spoil the bunch. You know what I mean? So I think it is very important to make sure that everyone knows um, what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And it makes you know, the, the team and the, um, the environment of a workplace all, all, all the more better. And it's so important. I know Janine Ellis says higher, slow and fire fast, <laughs> but that makes sense. But in, in principle, when you're actually applying it, it can be really difficult to know what the right thing to do is. And I suppose for your team, how have you found that you've had to teach them what, if you're someone going into, just say I wanted to get a job at Bumble and I understood the values and I wanted to come and work for you, what should and shouldn't I do in the workplace, in, in the culture? Is, is there, there things, traits that you picked up from, especially if you're coming straight out of uni, I feel like we're not taught how to act in a workplace. We're taught the skills. But then, mm. as you said before, you can teach anyone the skills in that workplace, but I feel like them being a part of the culture is the most important. And you can't expect everyone to match your culture, and that should be up to you, I suppose, to be able to find who does and who doesn't. But once that person is in the workplace in Bumble, 
is is there traits you picked up on that, that help that culture or, or things that have been negative that they haven't learned at uni and, and you wish that they had? I think that if you're just stepping into a role straight out of uni, like it's never expected of you that you know it all, you know, you, yep. you don't have any if you don't have much, if any at all, experience. Um, so when you go for a job straight out of uni, the person who's hiring you is hiring you on the potential um, and what they think that you're capable of. Um, I I do think that when you get those first jobs, it honestly is about uh, how you stand out, which really you can do by just going above and beyond. And it doesn't have to be on technical things. Like it can be on the most simple things like we've got a we've got a container full of merch like maybe you go rejig it all and like stock take it when no one's asked you to do that even if that's not in your job description especially in a a small business you find that because you don't have that many staff everyone has to help in every area yeah exactly like I will still go count boxes of merch and stuff and pack gift bags and do different things and when I first my first job after the internship that I had was as an HR advisor and I literally scanned and filed documents for six months like I was in a freezing air conditioned (laughs) like sealed box in this HR department scanning contracts and all of these other documents to put in everyone's personnel files and I made sure I was going to be the best scanner and filer like that had ever walked in the door and I would always try to do things quickly and I would always offer help when even when I didn't need to and if I was going to grab something I'd offer it to other people and I think it's just showing that you're engaged and really proactive and also Mm. asking to you know shadow meetings so you can learn different things like just yeah being um being assertive and proactive I think makes people stand out and particularly when you're in a small team like those are the kind of things we need um from from everyone here at Bumble (laughs) and I'm sure when you were in that photocopying room that was not your dream and I think the thing is with definitely because of social media we think that you can get your dream job overnight and I think that that's a really unrealistic expectation to put on millennials and, and people finishing university because the reality is the, the jobs that a lot of us aspire to are ones that have had a slow burn. No yeah. one walked in and was the CEO of a company or no one, you know, you didn't just walk into Bumble with no experience. You'd kind of, you got your connection with Whitney because you'd, you'd made your name in the workplace. And I think that's something that's really important to remember that, yes, sometimes you do have to do the jobs that you might not want to do and you don't I'm sure it wasn't the most fulfilling thing yeah. I can assume photocopying and scanning however I feel in if I was in that position it would be that you are fulfilled because you know you know you're on your journey to exactly. getting to where you want to go and if you want it hard enough you you should do whatever it takes to, to get there obviously yeah. to some extent yeah but if that's what your employee wants you your employer wants you to do then I think it's really important to make sure you do that Mm, exactly and that scanning and filing role honestly led me to like my first junior HR generalist job which is the kind of job I thought I would get when I was like 30 um and I was really appreciative to get that opportunity but I think it was because I showed I was so engaged and I was just trying to do absolutely everything that was a part of my job to the highest level even if it was scanning and filing. Um, But I also think it taught me how to be at the bottom of the food chain. Like that's Mm -hmm. an important lesson, you know. Um, Some people won't have to be at the bottom of the food chain for very long. Other people might have to be there a little longer. And that's rare though. I think social media makes you think that 50% of the workplace did not have to start at the bottom of the food chain. And I think it's 0.00001%. 
<laughs> yeah. So it's not realistic. And so it's so important to remember that it doesn't matter if that specific task does not fulfill you you're on the journey to getting there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a hundred percent agree with what you're saying. You know, social media, uh, it can make jobs look super glam and like you just get to go. Yeah. To all of these events and get to travel and do all of this stuff. But it's, um, that's a small part of the role, like the kind of work and effort that goes into producing an event is no one's going to, I'm not going to show that to anyone, you know, because it's confidential, but also no one really... But you're not going to film yourself also. I think that too. Yeah. I mean, we, Seth and I sit in the office most of the day, pretty much for the whole day, unless we have meetings. And we're not going to film ourselves in there being like, so now we're on our laptops. This is because people don't want to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I think, you know, it's hard being in those kind of roles. And when there is that social media presence or awareness of a brand. Um, and I know like PR, the PR industry kind of battles with these kind of things as well. Of course. Um, where, yeah, you definitely need to be aware of the fact that there is so much more going on outside of that one moment. Definitely, and PR, I mean, PR, the hours you do if you work PR are hard. Mm. You You have to be available on the weekend. Some events are all day Saturday, all day Sunday, and that doesn't mean that you get Monday off. That means you start Monday at 8 o'clock like you usually do, and then you might have an event Monday night. So I feel like that's really important. And I think something that we've picked up over time with hiring um, and some of the interviews that we've done and resumes that we've got, what I struggle with if people is when people try to tell you what's going to work for them before they've started working for you. And it's like, hang on, you've told me you really want this job in this interview and you've got great interview skills and then you're starting and you're telling me that you want to work at 10 and then you want to start at 10 and finish at 6 which is, you know, fine, but it means that you're going to be in the office when a lot of the team isn't and we need to be there for the team. And I feel like if you're trying to dictate how the workplace should work around you before you start, Not for a us, good start. that's a bit of a red... We found that's a red flag. And I think, unfortunately, that is why millennials are getting a bad rap around because there are millennials that work their, their absolute ass off. They work so hard and they're prepared to do anything. But then, unfortunately, there are some that I think it's because of social media have made have made us think that we can do whatever we want and we should be valued. But I, I don't think being valued means you can go in and tell your your employer what what works for you. Have you yeah. gone through that? You know what? My, dad's, my dad said something to me and I honestly had a fight with him about it because okay. I totally disagreed. <laughs> tell us. But he said everyone is replaceable and okay. uh, in, in, a, in a workplace. And I... Uh, a part of me agrees with that now and a part of me does not because I think if you can show that you're capable to like if you're a really high achiever strong performer and you love the brand uh, like a hundred percent your loss is going to be felt you know what I mean like if you walk away from that company they're going to feel your loss and sure they can they can replace you but they might not they, they can't no person is the same you know what I mean they can't replace like your soul or your spirit um so a part of me does agree with that uh, does does disagree with that but there's another side to me which is like these are businesses and they're they're all running to be successful and there are KPIs and certain things that need to be met um processes that need to be followed and I I do think it's uh you, you should never walk into a company, you know, with a sense of entitlement or kind of... You, at some, I feel like that is something that you earn. And, you know, a, you 100%. might, for example, with you with Bumble, if you're there for another 10 years and you might have a family, if you've proven yourself to Bumble for 10 years, then you can say, okay, look, I've had kids. 
this might work and I'm sure they'd work around that. But I think that entitlement is something that, that you work towards instead of yeah. being handed to you. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And I think that comes with, yeah, pro- you know, proving yourself, yeah. what kind of results are you driving, um, you know, that you, you're respecting everyone around you, everyone you're working with. A, a lot of different things play into that. One thing that I'm noticing at the moment is, um, and I'm sure you would have the same thing, is so many people want to work for these brands, you know, because they are so amazing. And it's, I, I do think it's a rarity to find something that you love and care about so much and that you're good at and it's all just kind of working. Um, and I find that a lot of people will apply for roles because they really want to just get into the company um, and they might be so overqualified for that job but they're willing to take it because they want to they want to be a part of you know whatever company it is and I think it's really important to like also not sell yourself short like if mm-hmm. you're going for a job regardless of if you're overqualified underqualified is kind of a different thing like I'm, I'm all for that <laughs> push yourself but um I think you need to make sure that you're you're applying for a job that you're going to find fulfillment in um, and not going for something just because you desperately want to be a part of that company because they're not going to, in a lot of cases, they're not going to change the role, as you said, to suit you. So you're going to walk in the door and end up feeling potentially undervalued or not challenged um, and it's not going to work either way. And I think that you should always make sure that uh, you're applying for roles that really suit you and that you are going to love and that match your skill level or they challenge you just the right amount um, because I don't think it works well on both sides when that's not um, the common goal. Definitely. And then going back to being underqualified, I actually am on the same page as you with this one. I think that no one learns inside their comfort zone. And of course, you cannot go and ask to be a lawyer at a, a partner yeah. at a huge law firm if you haven't gone or to surgeon. university. Doesn't yeah. make sense. Exactly right. But I think in some ways um, you can apply for jobs sometimes that you, after you have, I think you do an experience before you are to do something like that. But from, from with Keep It Cleaner, if we had someone come that may not have the exact skill set we were looking for, but we knew we could train them because of the way that they were proactive and showed initiative and and were driven and and loved the brand. That also is really important. And I know I've learned so much from jumping in the deep end. And you just, I mean, I'm lucky because Steph has to jump in as well. So you can't just both jump off of a cliff and one person (laughs) stay at the top. That would be pretty horrible. (laughs) It would be, exactly. And that jumping into your comfort or out of your comfort zone is, and I think it's unfamiliar for a month and then you get used to it. Exactly. Is that how you felt between when you swapped roles or you changed roles from when you were in HR? Oh, yeah. Scared, so so scared. Talk me through. That. Uh, it's interesting because I actually feel scared right now because next week we're launching Bumble in the Philippines, and I am excited, but I'm also scared because I feel like I'm actually right back where I was two and a half years ago, not really knowing, but like having this gut, like intuition, and just having to follow that. Um, I freaked out in between the period of quitting my job and starting Bumble Up. Um, I just started wondering, like, oh, my God, what have I done? I don't even know where to begin. I had never studied marketing. I'd never even really been to, like, an incredible event. I've never done events, PR, anything. Um, and I just had to figure it all out. Um 
but I was in a unique situation where I could pull on learnings from the US and really seek guidance wherever I needed. But I definitely did freak out because the brand was already established overseas. Mm. So if it was going to fail, I was going to be letting down myself, Whitney, and this already kind of established brand in the US. So I did feel quite a lot of pressure. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because I've started to notice those feelings like begin back. to creep back in the in the lead up to the Philippines. Um but I'm honestly having to take my own advice because I'm like, don't doubt yourself. Go with your gut feeling. Like, if you think this is going to work, do it. your track record says it probably is going to work. So just, yeah, just And is do that it. how you're stopping yourself from holding – are they holding you back, those thoughts, or you, you are able to combat them with that knowledge that you know you can do it and you just got to close your eyes and jump? I made one wrong decision and it was like a very similar wrong decision that I made in the start of building it up here in Australia. And then it was actually making that decision. I was like, that's actually when I noticed it and kind of stopped myself in my tracks and was like, okay, this is actually happening again now and you've got to stop doing this. And now you know how to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. And does that help knowing that you know how to deal with it and you have dealt with it before? Yeah, definitely. I think also it just, all these feelings started happening as soon as I started doing podcasts where I'm so confident and talking about believing, you know, backing yourself, believing in you into your intuition. And then I like reverted back and did the complete opposite. Um, I think that just shows you're a real person. I I think I'm the same. I mean, you aren't gonna, you can't lead your team or you can't lead your organisation in because you are in the public eye for Bumble. You're the head. Of, you, you are the face of Bumble in Australia. You can't lead them, and you can't expect people to believe in Bumble if you don't believe in it exactly. in a public sense. And I think that's something we should remember. That yes, behind closed doors, it, sometimes you might have. I mean, sometimes Steph and I are like, what are we doing? Like we have, you know, you have a breakdown. You that happens. But I think I think that's totally normal, and people should remember that. That while people can be very confident on the outside, sometimes on the inside, they're having a, a big fight with themselves. Yeah. I also think it's, I mean, that's one of the great things about my job, I guess, and that it's been able to evolve, you know, like Mm. I went through all these challenges, doubted myself a bit, worked it all out, followed my gut, ended up working. And now I get to do it across other markets, which I'm so excited for and grateful for. And I did feel like when I got this new role, a little bit of this, holy shit, like, what if it was all a fluke? Like, like nothing can, is ever a fluke I yeah, believe in that yeah but then I, I I had to shut those thoughts down very quickly um so I'm excited to see how it goes next week because I feel like I will have actually proved quite a lot to myself um but but yeah I'm, I'm going with my gut right now and and it will be the right work. decision as it always is and when this episode does come out it will have launched yeah it will have launched in the Philippines mm. and I'm sure we will go on Instagram and and see this beautiful event with this extremely successful launch <laughs> and think how on earth was this woman doubting herself I'm actually really excited for everyone to see it it's one of like the best things I, I think it's one of the best things that I've kind of been a part of well it doesn't surprise <laughs> me because <laughs> you, you do you continue to raise the bar every single time which is really impressive in a landscape I think where everyone is raising the bar and in I feel like in PR you now feel like you just have to do more and more and more but you always are thinking ahead yeah I think it's like just continuing to innovate and build different kinds of experiences yes. because so many brands are doing amazing creative stuff now and especially in Australia um which is really exciting and, and great for brands like the ones that you know we're a part of because that's the kind of stuff that we want to be doing um 
But yeah, I think just continuing to bring like fresh ideas to the table, not just repeating the same thing. And I mean, one of the best things about Bumble is we get to do so many events and activations because we're actually, you know, proactively trying to also get people off the app to meet in real life. So we want to offer those kinds of experiences. So I am very, very appreciative for the creative freedom, I I guess, that I have in my role. Um, It's probably the thing I like most about it. And you also leverage off other brands and you collaborate with other brands really well. How do you decide? I think from a brand point of view, it is really hard to decide what brands to align yourself with. And I mean, as I've said, we're actually doing a Bumble event really when this podcast comes out we will have done it which we are so excited about and we think it's just a fantastic partnership between Caper Cleaner and Bumble because our values are so aligned but what is your process with choosing brands that you are going to collaborate with because Bumble does bring a lot of value to that brand and so how do you how do you find that the value is equal and also for small brands I suppose when you first start out you don't always have a budget and that is fine because you can collaborate and work with other brands but what's your thought process with that? I think that the partnership space has definitely shifted. I mean, if I rewind back two and a half years ago, we were really having to pitch ourselves out and and really trying to sell our our con- like the concept, the brand, the mission to other really well established brands. And I think that's something that you have to do in the beginning when you are a small mm-hmm. and upcoming brand. You need to leverage pre existing brands and their already established audiences um but you do have to make sure you're not just going for anyone like you need to go with brands that are going to help you educate the audience at the same time about what you are um so i mean we did a great one with mon purse um they were doing a lot of uh social marketing at the time um and they're you know founded by a woman women obviously really interested in their products that's kind of how we picked that one and that showed great return for us and then you know we would also partner with festivals because Falls Festival and Splendor are like a rite of passage style festival and we were really trying to show 18 to 23 year olds that we were a cool brand you wanted to be a part of so those that was kind of the basis for those kind of partnerships like really leveraging strong existing um, audiences to push our brand messaging out there and now that it's out there um it's definitely about, I mean, we love female founders. So, I mean, that's why we're really excited to work with Keep It Cleaner and why we've, you know, always loved your brand. Um, Thank you. But also, yeah, looking at what people's mission is about, who they're working with yes. as well. You know, if they're current ambassadors, people that we also align with, I think that's a huge one. So you one. look at that as, as well. So you would go as far as you see the brand, you love the brand, but then they might be aligning themselves as someone that doesn't align, shouldn't be aligned with Bumble Mm -hmm. and you would not work with them because of that? Uh, It's something that we would take into consideration. And also, I mean, it's it's also probably more in a positive as well. Like um, we did something with Jagged and, you know, they obviously have worked with Brooke and with you and your people that we also love working with. So it's like we can combine brands and then also combine talent that we already both know we we love and have good relationships with mm-hmm. um so i think it it definitely also just depends on what you're trying to get out of the event yes um should you set do you set that intention every time yeah i think i mean as you said you know bumble in australia we've got over two million uh registered which users is just now. crazy working in the <laughs> app world that is crazy yeah, it's crazy because... It if, seems like a lot and it is a lot. Well, <laughs> yeah, the next million, when we hit three million, 
that's 12% of the Australian population. And just like for anyone listening, it doesn't, that is just, I don't know what the average is, but that is, do, do you know what it is? That's just to have 12% of a population on an app, that's almost unheard of. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, at Bumble, there's 50 million users wow. globally. Well, over, over 50 million now. I think what's most amazing is that these numbers have just come basically within the past couple of years. So it's just been such huge growth. Um, but I think also, you know, the products diversified and bringing in Bumble Beers and Bumble BFF, it means that we can appeal to a wider audience. Um, but yeah, it's it's exciting. But I suppose now as well, I somewhat feel like a gatekeeper because we've got this app. There's yes. so many people on it. Um, we want to make sure that all the partnerships we're doing and promoting on the app add value to our users. So that's another thing we really have to take into consideration when we're looking for partners. Mm. What, what are our demographic going to love? We're not going to show them something that they're not going to feel, you know, the value add because then we kind of start to lose that respect and trust and love for the product. Um, so, yeah, that's a that's a really big one at the moment. Of course, but I think it's really good to know as well that from a small brand, I feel like when you're starting out as a small brand, you feel like no one cares about you. It is so hard to grow your following. It's so hard to grow anything and you'll never get to the big brand, like to where a big brand is. But I think knowing that even a, a company like Bumble that was very well established in, in the US when you brought it to Australia, you still had to pitch and push and push and push. And people said to get no. There. Exactly. Yeah. And then you have all these no's, but then you've got yeses. And now, obviously, you are now the person who can say yes or no. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. But also, I would say, you know, if you've got a small brand, like, don't let those setbacks hold you back. Mm. And also, don't be afraid by not really having a big budget. Because, yes. I mean, we um, we used to do these challenges on a Friday where everyone had to come up with an idea um, for a guerrilla marketing campaign that could be executed for under $500. And then we would just agree which was the best idea and then we'd go out and do it. Um, and I think that you can still get great brand awareness mm-hmm. and do really scrappy, like, um, kind of grassroots style marketing campaigns that actually work and get your brand name out there. And in the beginning, all you're really looking for is awareness, people to just see your brand and for them to think, oh, yeah, I've heard of that or I recognise that. Um, and those yeah. kind of cheap campaigns work to do that. And you could even do it with $500 for some businesses might be a lot. So you could even start that kind of concept with $50. Yeah. Because that's enough to print out flyers. Exactly. And then, and then go from yeah. there. I think, I mean, we did one in Sydney where we printed out yellow what looked like parking fines and wrote on them, your fine, <laughs> and then just wrote a little explanation about what Bumble was and where to go to download it. That's just printing cost. And that would have been under $50? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. How much was the yellow paper? <laughs> I don't remember. How much. I know, it's also not very environmentally friendly. Yes, of but, course. <laughs> but, I mean, you could come up with a better way to do yes. that. <laughs> and now going back to, I know you said before, um, you did work in an organisation where in HR, in the bank, there was a lot of women, but then it was it's a male-dominated industry. I would love to hear your thoughts on that, how you got through it and how something that I really struggle with is you go into a boardroom filled with men, which is still, unfortunately, it's, it's the way that it is in, in a lot of big organisations. There is there's, Our diversity is slowly coming mm-hmm. through, but it's not 100% there yet, as we know. And I feel that when I go into these rooms, I lose all my femininity and I I have to put on this really masculine feeling and to be able to get my voice across in the room. And then I leave and I feel like, oh, that wasn't myself. I was I was more aggressive than I usually would. 
But then every time I go into the situation, I, I almost do the same thing. Have you ever felt that? And if so, how did you, do yeah. you need that? Is that normal? I think I've definitely felt that. And, you know, that might even be the whole reason for why the culture was how it was when I worked at those yes. places. Um, I, I've definitely felt intimidated going into rooms before and I feel like my confidence definitely peaks because that's kind of how I get through that. Like I just try to present myself as very like very self-assured, really mm. confident in what like whatever message I'm delivering. Um, I think that, I mean, that is a really unfortunate, this is an unfortunate result of, you know, these male-dominated spaces and the fact that there aren't more women, you know, sitting at, sitting in those kinds of positions and that's what we need to strive to kind of address and change. In terms of coping mechanisms for that, like I actually don't think I have mm-hmm. the best... Uh, like I don't know it all in that sense but I do think it's also really important in the workplace to kind of know when to separate like your personal mind from your business mind um like that's something I had to learn working in HR because I would often be dealing with very difficult conversations you know making people redundant Mm. investigating someone for you know doing like some kind of disciplinary matter um So I had to learn how to really strip back my personal attachment or feelings to any of those kind of situations because Mm -hmm. otherwise I wasn't going to make the best decision for the business. Um, So whenever I feel in those kind of situations, that's one thing I like proactively try to do. Like I try not to let anything that's said to me by, you know, a man or a woman, I, I try not to let that feed into what, Anything like personal going yeah. on? Or- yeah, because I think um, regardless of gender, that stuff can definitely still come into play. Um, like I actually felt that kind of stuff more from women in my past jobs. And I I think it was one thing I've often thought about, is it is it because they were coming up the ranks in a time where there really weren't many women around and so they've really had to like fight for their spot there Mm. so to see more women kind of coming in and them having I guess cleared a bit of a better path not the not fixed but a bit of a better path than what they had does that create some kind of resentment I'm not really sure but I think that's why I've just always tried to separate those things but to be honest I've actually found that difficult at Bumble because when you're in HR you didn't hire that person like they're not in your team so it's easier to completely detach yourself but all the people that I work with in my team at Bumble I feel I want them all to succeed like I want them to have amazing careers and like be the best that they can be and love their job every day but it's like so much of that you really can't control um and at the end of the day, you've still got to do what's best for um, the business. But, you know, you also want to make sure that you are, you know, kind and respectful and still being yourself. Okay, I think the hardest thing also is it with we are naturally most or I personally and I know you are as well, like you're really you're quite a caring person. And to separate that care in, in a business sense can sometimes be it's hard mm-hmm. to find the line between Really, you have to care about your employees, which of course we do, but then going too far to yeah. the point where it's like, hang on, are you running a business here or are you running um, uh, something else that's not a yeah. business? And and I think that as your business grows, you have to deal with that even more because like for Steph and I now, we're not just, we don't just answer to ourselves. We have other 
directors in the company and other people that that we work with. Um, so we can't kind of act on that as much yeah. as we used to be able to. You also have to look like as a leader, like you have to make the best decisions for your team. And like if someone's dropping the ball, that means someone else is picking up yes. their slack. So then that's not fair on other people in the team as well. I I have definitely felt this and it kind of all comes back to this like per, like your your personal like almost honestly like your soul yes. like latch you onto someone a bit um and sometimes it's like that's not really just a gift to be given to everyone you know what I mean like mm. that's kind of what I try to tell myself in those positions I actually will sound like a mystical freak but sometimes no, I pull do. myself up and I'm like oh like that's actually my spirit like cutting in on that a bit and I need to pull that back because I need to focus on the best outcome for the business right now. So, like, I'm going to rein that in and, like, that actually helps me give more direct feedback. I've definitely given people more chances than they probably should have had before. And mm-hmm. I think it's because it's, like, you go into this, like, mothering, like, caring mind. Not that I'm a mother, but I imagine that's what it's like. Yeah, no, definitely. Or you've got two younger sisters. Like, sometimes, some, every now and again, someone will come along and they remind me of my middle sister, Madeline, who's, like, a bit shy. And and you're the same. We're both the oldest of three <laughs> girls. Yes. Yeah, and I am pretty confident and, like, open up very easily. And whenever I meet someone who's not like that, they kind of remind me of Madeline. Yes. And before I go into judging them a little bit on, like, just be just be more confident. I'm like, oh, but they they remind me of Madeline. And then my mind shifts totally and I think about them like they're a sister and then I'm not really able to give helpful feedback. Um, but I think it's actually not kind on the individual to like not give them direct feedback and like deliver it efficiently and effectively, give them the opportunity to improve um, and then kind of make whatever decisions are best for the business mm. moving on from them. And especially for you with Bumble, because you have got so many people to answer to and you can't call up and say, hey, this person's done the wrong thing five times, but they're my friend, so <laughs> I'm going to keep them. That just, And I think sometimes you almost have to uh, relay that to yourself because it sounds so, you you know, you just laughed. It sounds funny when you say it like that. Mm. Um, and sometimes that's actually something that you have to have at the forefront of your mind and just speak about it like that, like literally, literally how the situation is to then realise, okay, I do need to take my emotions out of this. Yeah, yeah. I think um, like one of the best things, and I guess I didn't think this stuff would help me so much, like going from HR to Bumble, I was like, whoa, what, what are my transferable skills? And I guess I'm starting to see them more now, of like course. in terms of I know how to run performance management processes and I know how to, you know, I always keep paper trails and things like that because I know this stuff is really critical. Um, and I also have always, I, I guess I've learned to live by the policy, like no surprises. So if, if someone isn't going to be passing probation or I'm not saying this is a Bumble example, I'm saying in any job I've ever had. Of course. But um. Um, if if someone's not going to be passing their probation, you have to set signs in. Yeah, you should be walking into that meeting, and there should be absolutely no way that that person will be surprised by what your the message you're about to deliver. And if they're surprised, you actually haven't done your mm. job well because you haven't given them direct feedback and a chance to either raise the bar or or not raise the bar. Um, and I mean 
probation's like an interesting one because technically you don't really need to give someone much warning if they are in a probation period but like what are the values of your brand are you fair like are you equitable because I would say that if you're operating in a company that is all about kindness equality and respect Mm. you should definitely be giving someone a chance to improve and and so I think those kind of things they probably come back on the brand more like there'd be some big global companies that are like just get rid of them but I personally wouldn't do that. And I think that's a perfect example of firstly how a brand that can't, I mean, at Keep It Cleaner, we don't have a HR department. We don't have the resources for that. And it doesn't, if you don't, there's still things that you can do. And then also you don't have to, you can still have those values with your staff. I think sometimes you think that you can't, Mm. but if that's the values of your business, and as I said, Keep It Cleaner and Bumble have very similar values, you can still have that softness. Yeah, yeah, As well, obviously, it just has to be balanced. Yeah. I actually, I mean, one of the best things I probably learned from my manager actually is I probably was a bit tough in my way of communicating and it probably was because I'd come from banking, had to be super direct, was a little overconfident and I was just basically delivering, paid to deliver clear messages, Um, which isn't like a bad thing, Mm -hmm. but I have actually like she has behavioral behaviorally <laughs> changed me in that sense all for the better um and it has helped my negotiating skills so much like not just about how you work with people but how you work with other brands i like i think it's always good to give clear direction mm. but you can always go about drawing an outcome you know in in different ways and i think that it actually benefits like it's benefited me a lot to go into things with a bit of a softer perspective and but that's just because I'm a pretty blunt person as it is you know what I mean like I'm not speaking for women in general (laughs) yeah like I I'm blunt and I um I just say things how it is yeah yeah but sometimes (laughs) I'm also an Aries and they're like can really throw stuff out there that will cut people but like rolls like water off a duck's back to yourself you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and then you're left wondering like why is that person offended um so that's something that I've become more aware of and I think it's made me better at my job so it's having that balance of the softness but then also knowing your value when you go into that meeting room I think that's something that's so important that you shouldn't be overpowered because of your gender or because yes. of any any fact that you feel um, kind of sets you behind. And it is yes. important because the amount of times that I've pushed for what we believed in and it made me feel uncomfortable and I didn't, I kind of didn't like myself at the time that I was doing it, but then I look back on that and I'm so happy that I did because I knew I would have felt undervalued if I didn't do that. Yeah, yeah. I think also like... Um, and like another thing I learned from my past jobs was if you go into a meeting room and you know you're about to have a difficult conversation mm. or you're going into a big negotiation, like whatever it is, you should walk into that room with no, knowing exactly what the out the desired outcome of that conversation is going to be. Because if you don't walk in with that vision clearly, you can become lost in the detail or you can let the conversation stray off track and then maybe you walk out and you're like, shit, you know, like I didn't actually get out what I needed to get out and now I'm not happy with the outcome. Um, and that's something that like, I've always been very clear about is I think it, you know, I said this to my best friend the other day, actually, she was going to resign actually from her wow. job and she'd been there for like six years and I knew her bosses would try and give her a counter argument, but I really wanted her to leave the job. So I yes. was like, here's what you need to do and like do not let them talk you back into this because the opportunity that you've got is far better and you can't let them F it up. 
So I think that can be applied Being to prepared. A, yeah. Every and even for example, walking in and getting a pay rise. I mean, mm-hmm. if you feel that you're entitled to that and you've worked, obviously, I, we probably I probably wouldn't recommend asking for one after three days because that comes back to you know. <laughs> Has that happened? It, no, 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 no. But I just I, you know, you know, I think you should wait until you've you've shown your value to the company yeah. and um, kind of feel that you deserve that. But if you go in there and you're not confident, or if you go into any job interview and you're not confident about you getting the job or you being good enough at the job or you believing that you get that pay rise, how on earth are you meant to convince the person you're talking to to believe in you? Mm. You have to be clear when you go into things. And I think that's really important and un- underrated in some ways. Yeah. I just thought of something. It's honestly one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard. Please share. Um, and it's something that I apply like every, every now and again. Yes. Um, but it's like if someone was to walk into your job tomorrow, what would be the first thing that they would fix? Because it kind of helps you to constantly be aiming for higher and doing something better. You know, like if someone walked into my job tomorrow, I would not want them thinking, shit, like – what what a mess, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, so it kind of helps you keep everything in check, particularly if you're, you know, you might not have someone giving you feedback every day. I think it's just something that can can keep you honest. And especially if, you know, you're a high achiever and you really want to take that next step, like start applying that to your day-to-day and then, you know, you can go into a performance conversation and be pretty confident about what you're driving and, you know, you've initiated something that you may not have been asked to do and those kind of things. That is such – I think I'm going to put that – write that down and put it at my yeah. desk. That's such good advice. Yeah. Thank you. And then what about networking? So obviously Bumble and Bumble Biz networking is a huge part of it and it's a fantastic place to network. Um, I love it. I'm on there. But one thing that is a bit of a barrier with networking is – actually getting uh taking because you're taking people's time essentially how do you go about that and how important has mentoring been to you I know that Jackie Frank has been a really good mentor for you Mm. and you worked with Jackie through Bumble Mm. how did you then turn that into a relationship where she mentored you so honestly Jackie really scared me at first yes (laughs) and that's why I wanted her to mentor me because I scared in a good way same with me (laughs) yes scared in a good way because I just respect her and really admire her and I I try to put my best foot forward whenever I'm around her, which is why I kind of wanted her around more. And because I do have, you know, managers offshore, if a really tricky thing comes up and I need assistance ASAP, you know, Mm -hmm. I've called her about stuff before that's come up in the middle of the day and I'm just like, I really need your opinion on this or can you just back me up here? Um, I think that when you – if you – if you're learning something new, which I definitely was, I think it's really important to have people around that you can go to for advice. Mm-hmm. I do think networking, and I think this is like where we may have bonded originally, like <laughs> at uni, I hated the concept or thought of going to a networking event. Oh, of course. <laughs> I mean, I still, I mean, I'm a horrible example. I have no friends in my university, all minority graduated, but it is, it is I think when you're at that age, you don't want to, it's hard to push out of your comfort zone. Mm, it's honestly scary me so I started to think about it as like networking is really just an intimidating word for going out and making new friends yes so most people are comfortable with going and making new friends you know what I mean but I think there's like this scary mask over it yes. and it's like set up to be really formal and you know it sounds mean um so I definitely try to strip that back but I've got a few people that I will go to for advice that are 
more experience than me in other areas or have different skills than mm-hmm. I have. I think that's the main thing. Like you don't want to be going to someone who's just going to agree with you all the time or has the same kind of skill set as you. Um, so you need to be choosing a mentor that can really add value to what you're doing. And they also don't need to be like a formal mentor. You know what I mean? Like yes. I go to my dad for like, sometimes I send him spreadsheets and I'm like, can you work this sum out for me? <laughs> you yes. know? Um, so I think it's just finding people that can offer you support um but I think when you're reaching out to someone because I'm sure this would happen to you a lot people asking to like grab a coffee or something um I think be prepared yeah you need to be really prepared with what you want out out of that because a lot of people don't have time um I love mentoring people because I feel like I get a little bit of a rush out of it. Um, you're good at it. You're that for me too. I'm, seriously, how many times have I texted you in the middle of the day? I'm like, what would you do here? <laughs> but I do love that because it's great to like bounce thoughts off other people. Yep. Like that's really the whole thought process behind yes. it. Um, and so I do get a bit of a rush out of it. But I think if you're going to directly approach someone and kind of ask them to mentor you or ask them for advice and you don't really know them, I would probably like not go straight in asking for a coffee catch up, to be yes. honest, because I think it's really hard to to get that. I would honestly just ask them a question like straight up. And if they've kind of got the time and are going to help you, you'll actually like it'll happen quicker and you'll actually get get an answer. Yes. Um, so that's something I would recommend just because I think so many people are short on time, but they do actually want to help you. Um, yes. So, yeah, just have a clear a clear kind of what you want out of it in and mind. And be clear with, I think that if, if, like if I got an email that said, hey, I'm starting a, I'm just because we're in here, a speaker brand. <laughs> we've got a lot of speakers around us. What should I do? And I and I can't help at that stage because mm-hmm. I don't know anything about their business. I think that if you are going to go and then and then if I were to meet up with this person, I would want them to have, and obviously it would always be kept confidential, but all of the information about their business so then I could go in and help them where I where I thought that I could with my advice. But I feel like if, if you come with this, if you haven't put in the effort to write the email properly and all you're sending this person that might not have a lot of time is one sentence, mm. how can you expect them to then go and help you. I think you have to make sure that if you are going to get mentoring of someone or you are going to put your hand out for help, that's amazing and people want to help, but you have to put that effort in. Yeah. I also just hate it when I get the ones like, can I pick your brain on yes, what? About what? Exactly <laughs> what? right. Exactly right. Yeah. I think that you have to have that structure for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and to finish off, I have a one question for you. Okay. We're on social media. Yeah. So I think that you have done an amazing job, as I said, with aligning yourself with brands and people that believe in the bumble values with social media it can obviously be really negative as well what is one thing that you if you could make one rule for social media so it might be that you can't swear so that's a bad example but because <laughs> i swear you, so much as well so that i'd never make that forever. rule <laughs> yeah so anytime you said a swear word that would automatically be muted and you couldn't post it what what rule would you make what people can and can't post. Oh, I honestly just think it like goes back to the what you were taught when you were three. Like if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Mm-hmm. Um, social media is great in so many ways. You know, we're, we're sharing more, we're seeing more. People are being like more open. It, some people, you know. Um, I think it's horrible that it also can provide a shield, you know, and that people will say things on social media mm. that they would never feel comfortable saying to real someone life. in real life. Your your behaviour really shouldn't change, you know, and also be careful because anything you put on the internet 
can be found and so many people there these forever. days. Literally yeah. when you're, uh, uh, and there's something that your parents say to you, like do not put silly things on the internet yeah. because it never goes away and it's true. Uh, but also if you're applying for jobs and stuff, mm. people are looking, they're going to go and look. Yes. And sometimes, I mean, we've had, when we did that um, gender pay gap post, yes. we have never had so much negativity on Bumble Australia. Mm. It actually made my blood boil, mm-hmm. but it Sometimes you get those slaps in the face and you're like, shit, you're living in a progressive country like Australia and there are still well-educated men out there who don't believe the gender pay gap exists. What the F? Yeah, of like, course. So obviously there is still far more work to be done. But we received like so, so many negative comments, mm. um, which I honestly just could not believe. But um we would go and look, you know, who was saying this stuff and they were working for huge global firms and, you know, great LinkedIn profiles. And I'm like, what are you, what if your employer says this kind of thing? And how silly are they for putting well, that got, on with their name? got girlfriends. Like, do you think your girlfriend should be paid equally to a man doing the same job as her? I think sometimes you have to put it in the... I'm really I've going had this conversation. Here. No, I've had that conversation <laughs> recently with someone who was like, oh, there's no problem. And I'm like, okay, well, you've got a daughter. Do you think it's fair if your daughter walks into the office she does because she works just as hard as ex-man next to her? They're in the same role and she gets paid 20 grand less. And it's like, oh, no, no, like, yeah. not my daughter. I'm like, well, that should be the same for every everyone. I know. Yeah. So mm, if you don't have anything nice to say, just don't say it at all. Like just a yes. positive platform. You know, all social media platforms should be used for good. Um, and I think sometimes we see great examples of that and other times we are reminded how much that we really need to keep pushing the dial. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, I would just say you're banned if you're negative. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. I feel like I have learned so much in this hour that we've been talking. Sorry to everyone listening if you went a bit long, but I just – you have so much to share and I wanted to, <laughs> to get the message. Sorry. Sorry, Thank everyone. <laughs> no. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> So we hope you guys enjoyed that conversation just as much as we did. If you would like to hear more from Michelle, which I'm sure you do, you can follow her on Instagram at Michelle Battersby. Now, Steph, what is the question of the week? So we got you guys to ask us questions as we always do. And we really liked this one from Kelly. Um, And it was, is it hard being so real and having your lives in the public eye. She also says, love you both. Love so you. Thank you, Kelly. Thank we love you. you. Um, th- we thought this was a good question because um, I suppose a big part of what Laura and I do is being is trying to be as real and relatable as we can. Mm. Um, and I think social media, for a long time, a lot of people felt like they couldn't really do that on social media. So it is cool that as much as we are in the public eye now, or I suppose when we say public eye, it sounds so weird because I used to only relate to that to like famous people or people on TV so that sounds so weird but really the public eye is the fact that we have public accounts where tens of thousands of people are following us Um, so being real on there for us I mean for me personally isn't hard because I've always kind of been myself on my page and I think something that we've both noticed in the last couple years is the more real we are the it's not and, and trust me it's not about the engagement for us but the more people love it you know, they, they respond really well to it and we can tell that that's what, you know, whether it's young girls or really anyone out there is hoping to see more of on social media. So I'd say it's not hard being real and being in the public eye, but at the same time it is then hard, I think, at times to know what to share and what not to share. I mean, mm. we both share so much, but do you do you struggle to, 
to think like, should I share this or should I not share yes, this? Yes, definitely. More so with the more negative things. You just don't want, sometimes you don't want to share it because you just want to keep it to yourself or mm. you you don't want people to kind of pity you, I suppose. That's the biggest thing for me. But I think sometimes, like at the start, I found it really hard to be super real mm. because I felt like I'd be judged or people would be like, oh, why would I follow this page? Like it's not, this is not an attractive image that's just mm. come up or something like that. But I think after sh- kind of exposing our vulnerabilities and, and doing a few posts and, and the amazing feedback from from like our community and mm. followers it's so nice and you from that I suppose I kind of got the courage to keep sharing yeah. it because I knew it was helping people and so it was like I am w- every time before I post something super real I'm like oh this is just the worst photo of me ever but then I'm like do you know what this is going to help people and I'm not scared because yeah. the support is so amazing but I think courage is a good word there because I think if we were in a different position or if we were you know um someone else who might always portray themselves in a certain way that's quite perfect or, um, you know, that hard to reach kind of Mm. unrealistic page. If we were that and then, you know, there was paparazzi photos or this random story of something terrible that happened in our life had leaked, um, that would be a lot harder for those kind of people because they've never exposed those kind of rawer moments to the world. Whereas we're so used to exposing it, I kind of – I don't think – a, a bad paparazzi photo or like a, an article about something that's happened in my personal life. I've never had a paparazzi photo of I me, do. but if I did, I can imagine it would be super stressful. I'm just saying, like, as much as at the time I might be like, oh, I wouldn't, it wouldn't like end my of course, week. Because I feel like you're like, well, I've actually posted, if I had one taken to me, because I haven't, but I'd be like, I've actually posted worse things than this. So yeah. good on you. Yeah. And I mean, we share, I share so much. I shared when my grandpa passed away and all that mm. sort of stuff. So I don't mind people knowing that stuff. I don't mind people feeling like they've gotten to know me online and that they feel really close to me. Um, so in a short answer, Kelly, because that was <laughs> a long one, uh, I don't find it hard personally being real. Me neither. But yeah, Thanks thank for you. your question, Kelly. Yeah, and we, as, as always, we'll ask you guys every single week for a new question to answer at the end of every podcast. As Laura said, we hope you guys enjoyed it. If you'd like to see or hear more from us, you can follow us at Keep a Cleaner um, or our personals, which is Laura.Henshaw or Steph Claire Smith. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>